Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Many of you here knew Father Bob, some of you didn't, but uh, the stories that I heard yesterday about him and those that you've probably shared or thought of uh, it's hard to hear a story about Father Bob that isn't endearing in some way or another. Even if it's in his early 80s, he wanted people to know that in high school he was a better quarterback than Johnny Unitas, and he won bo- more awards as if anyone would care at this point, but he still spoke it as if uh, it was as relevant as it was when he was 18. Uh, but Father Bob had an amazing effect on people. As I said, Cleveland for him was home. He grew up in Pittsburgh, that was officially his home, and the Capuchins were his family, but it was really in the Diocese of Cleveland that his ministry had the most amount of traction and he did the most. He lived at the Center for Pastoral Leadership and formed priests, and, but he really formed the whole staff, as many of them are here and know. Uh, the staff could be kind of divisive, and the faculty had many different views, and he happened to live in such a way that everyone wanted to be around him. Whether your views were far right or far left, you found in Father Bob a way to step out of a camp. You found in Father Bob a way to not be kind of pigeonholed into a category and found freedom in a very vibrant way to follow the Lord. And he was always very encouraging, obviously. In Cleveland, his favorite ministry, and probably in his whole life, the the thing he was most proud of was the Bethesda House of Mercy, the post-abortion healing ministry that he founded or actually was the spiritual father for forming them and things. It it brought together every strand of his heart. Everything else was part of his heart, but that really was where everything came together for him. Mercy, healing, sin, repentance, a gracious God who goes further than we do in our wrong ways. He just loved it. And then not to mention, he got to work with his favorite group of people, women. Father Bob kissed more women than anyone I've ever known in my life. Last night at the wake, I asked a group of women, I said, raise your hand if any of you kissed Father Bob, and all their hands went up as fast as possible. So I'm making him the patron saint of celibate love, just so you know. So Father Bob uh, had two things on him at all times. A little handheld rosary. It was a one-decade rosary. He didn't carry the whole thing until he was around his Capuchin brothers, and then he would get a little more traditional hanging from his own uh, ropes there. But he always had a handheld rosary of a decade, and a sheet of paper, usually on an envelope or something else, with a bunch of people's names on it. And uh, I did more independent studies with him, he said, than any other seminarian. I was always in his office, wanting to know what made him tick and what he was doing. And so I said, what do you do with those names? And I said, are you praying for people? He said, not really. I said, what are you doing? He says, I'm just contemplating their faces and their hearts. And I said, I was a seminarian at the time, but I said, aren't you supposed to contemplate Jesus? And he said, well, Jesus is the vine, but everyone is a branch. And so everyone gives you a little bit of the nutrients of the vine in different ways. He says, so everyone's face and everyone's heart brings me a little bit closer to Jesus. And that was his spirituality. No one was a distraction for Christ, for him. Everyone was a little bit of a a branch leading him to the vine. Everyone brought a little bit of Christ into his life and led him to Christ in some way or another. 
I one time asked him, I said, you know, you're not as big into philosophy as some other people here, and you certainly don't get into apologetics. What do you do when you meet an atheist? Like, do you defend, do you debate? What do you, I mean, he had a doctorate in theology from Rome. He did extra studies at Oxford. This man was brilliant. I go, do you, he goes, I just adore the Trinity that's in them so they don't have to worry about it because they're not doing it yet. So I just adore the Trinity that's in them and everything will be fine for them. Here's a man who just was utterly convinced we're not the savior of each other. But we do get to be gifts to each other. So the readings I picked today, the road to Emmaus, the gospel, was his favorite gospel passage. He used it a lot with Bethesda House of Mercy. But for him, it was so important that in the line there that Father Jacob read, that's Father Jacob Bear. I don't know if you could recognize him with the mustache, but that's him. The, uh, Father Jacob read uh, the line here that says, Jesus gave the impression he was going on further. This is incredibly important for Father McCreary because to go on further was to go further in the wrong direction. They were going to Emmaus, which was the wrong way. So they were going in the wrong way with their life. And Jesus, out of his mercy, was willing to go further in the wrong way than they were. And it was that kind of no limit to the love of Christ that captured Father Bob and taught him that that's how I have to love others. And so he would teach women at Bethesda, but other people, he said, if someone comes, I want to get a divorce. He goes, the first response really shouldn't be, no, no, that's wrong. It needs to be, okay, what, where do we, why do we need to do this? Where are we going? What's happening? He goes, to rally alongside of them and give them someone who will receive them in their imperfection, in their incompleteness, in their wrongwayness. And he really believed that if you gave people that space and that love, new things would emerge out of their heart that would then, just like in Emmaus, lead them in the right direction. The second reading is St. Paul's letter to the Philippians. And this was a huge part for Father Bob. In fact, Father Bob learned this when he was young studying St. Bonaventure. But it says, though he was in the form of God, Jesus did not deem equality with God something to be grasped at. But rather, he emptied himself. This emptying of the self is so important. Because most people around Father Bob at this time in his life were saying that Jesus emptied himself as an example for us to be humble. And what Father Bob learned from St. Bonaventure was Jesus emptied himself because the Father emptied himself. Jesus was humble because the Father was humble. Jesus bent down to us because the Father bends down to us. And that changed everything for Father Bob because it gave him the posture and the lens by which he could bow down to many of you and to me in our littleness and in our brokenness. And he knew by doing so that it was bending down that other people felt lifted up. If you went lower than them, they felt their dignity again. They felt loved and cared for. And so Father Bob, uh, early on in his life, I don't know many of you know this, his mom was a good woman, but... Uh, if you're Irish, I don't mean to offend you, but rather Irish with her level of affection, all right? Uh, kind of stoic, a little off, kind of just a little colder, not as in touch with the affections that maybe you'd think of an Italian person, okay? But he had a nanny who was incredibly affectionate, doted on him as if he was the only kid in the house and made him feel so special. And he said that's where his devotion to Mary began. 
is that when he realized that Mary was a doting kind of love, it was so easy for him to move from his nanny to the blessed mother and then live his whole life with the blessed mother. Just a love that was doting and affectionate and encouraging and was so quick to find reasons to forgive. And this is Father Bob always looking for traces of God and saints in everyone. For Father Bob, the integrating person in his life was when John Paul II became Pope. He became for him finally the voice and the theology and the rationale what was in Father Bob's heart for so long. And in particular, it was in the document, which I always pronounce the wrong way, but nonetheless, uh, it's Novo Millennio Innuente, John Paul's document on the third millennium. So it was the year 2000. And John Paul felt that God had assigned him the task of bringing the church into the new millennium. And what moved Father Bob in there, which is kind of funny, it wasn't any of the teachings which are beautiful and the writings which are amazing. It's one of my favorite documents as well, probably because of Father Bob. But what really got Father Bob was that John Paul II said, I've been contemplating the faces of the many people who have entered through the holy door this past year. He loved that John Paul II was contemplating people. And John Paul II says, I was looking at their faces and thinking of their hearts and of their sorrows and of their blessings and above all that each person was someone that the Redeemer of the world has drawn near and is working in their lives. And it gave Father Bob such permission to realize that as he had a sheet of paper and a rosary in his hand, he was already doing what John Paul II was calling us to do, which was that to contemplate one another. That if the God of the universe took on a human face and a human heart, it meant human faces and human hearts were never an obstacle, but were little icons, little windows into knowing God. Whether that person was morally amazing or not, the person was always very good. And so Father Bob made it a life work to be a blessing, to see people, to really see them. As a seminarian, you have to wrestle with and figure out celibacy the best you can, and with varying degrees of success along the way. But Father Bob was an immense gift. I said, Father Bob, how do you do this? In fact, the first question I ever asked him was, Father Bob, as a celibate man, what do you do when you find women attractive? Now, this was an important question in, in him and I's relationship because I visited him six months ago, suffering immensely from dementia, couldn't really remember who people were. And so I went and visited him in Pittsburgh, and he remembered me, which was great. We sat down for a cup of coffee, and he goes, I have a very important question for you. I said, okay. He goes, what are we supposed to do when we find women attractive? And I don't know if he was conscious of he was asking me the first question I ever asked him, uh, but it was really, really sweet. But one of the times he, he told me the story, he said, as a young friar, he goes, he goes, I was at an airport, he goes, I was noticing the really beautiful stewardesses walking by. He goes, and I realized, oh, I shouldn't be looking at them. He goes, but then I realized, well, I don't want to look at the floor either. He goes, and I prayed, he goes, and I just realized, I'm supposed, I'm supposed to see everyone, not just look at someone. And he says, and I opened my eyes, he goes, I began to see a newly married couple next to me. He, saw, he said, I saw a guy with a very fancy suit on, going to go do something impressive. He goes, I saw a mom with her daughter. He goes, I started seeing humanity. And this is why I think so many of us love Father Bob. He embodied and preached very clearly that faith always led us to something more beautiful, 
something more meaningful. Life got richer with our faith. Not more rules and oppressive, richer, more meaningful. But to enter in, we always had to sacrifice something, which he knew well, and he suffered immensely himself. And finally, the last thing, and probably the last 10 years of his priesthood, he preached a lot on this phrase called life force. It was uh, a phrase that is a very odd one. It, it came from Edith Stein, St. Teresa Benedict of the Cross. And basically the idea is that certain people are life forces for us, meaning they just move us towards life itself. And he would quote that there was a certain kind of energy that certain people had that went around them, your heart opened and you became in touch with what was most noble and beautiful and meaningful about life. And so he would use this to talk about the saints in his life that were meaningful, John Paul II, Francis, Bonaventure, John the Twenty-Third. But then he would talk about all the people that he met along the way in his life that were life forces for him and that Christ brought the life force of God into this world and he continues to animate his body, the church, with men and women who are life forces for others. And this is the beauty of Father Bob. He never looked away from the people present to him in order to find God. He was never running away from you or me to be holy or be with Jesus. It was all one great reality for him where the Father was a humble Father poured out in Christ. Christ poured himself out through the Holy Spirit and every man and woman, baptized or not, holy or not, was a little window and a little way in. And so as we remember Father Bob today, we have immense stories of him treating our brokenness with graciousness and kindness. We have stories of his preaching, of his formation. He was one of the first Capuchins Father Jacob knew, and Father Jacob was with the Capuchins for a little bit, largely because of his influence and his classmate Father Lester. But Father Bob's influence was profound. You know that because last night a bishop spoke on his behalf, and currently a cardinal is speaking at his, at his funeral mass in Pittsburgh. And he was a ghost writer for Cardinal Sean O'Malley. I don't know if I can say that, but I did it. Um, not so ghosty now. But, uh, but here's one thing I was praying this morning I felt like Father Bob really wanted us to know was, don't imitate him. Be you. He would have hated if we tried to be him. He was him. Because he thought you was enough. He thought you, unrepeatable, unique, was really, really good. And he wanted there to be more of each one of you, more fully alive and things like this. And so I end with this final story about Father Bob. There was a uh, Christmas party at the seminary, and I was asked, as Father Jacob often was asked to do, was to host it, to tell jokes and lead the room and work the room and whatnot. So I did, and I was just really sick of doing these things because in my mind, holiness was somehow taking the backstage, being, being a wallflower. No one noticed me. And I went and talked to him about it. I said, Father Bob, I said, I, you're like, you're just so humble and small in the background. I, I'm always giving the microphone to talk and to do all these things. It's like, I, I want to try to start being holy and I, I'd like to stop getting the microphone. And he goes, oh no. He goes, because of people like you, I don't have to have the microphone. <laughs> and he said, he said, Ryan, don't you realize gifts are given by God? He goes, and we cannot put them under a bushel basket. He goes, and so when you live out your gifts, you give other people the freedom to not have to fake it or not have to be something they're not. Father Bob 
we would use nowadays the phrase of he was the gift of affirmation for people. But bottom line, he really was just Christ in many ways. Because Christ came into this world not to condemn it, but to set it free and heal it, to affirm it, that when God made the world, he made something very good, and sin is not as powerful as we like to think. God's love through Jesus and each of us is way more powerful. And his favorite phrase was, I'm not holy, I'm rinky-dink. And so maybe all of us can try to just be simply rinky-dink. Amen.